Hey y'all, this is your host, Annika, and welcome back to Keeping It Brief. Um, today, I wanted to kind of go ahead and give a different style of briefing than I usually do. Um, I know that the first two that I've shared with you all have been kind of short, um, so I wanted to do a bit of a more in-depth brief for y'all. It does take a little bit more time, but if it is something that you'd prefer, maybe it'll help you more with classes past just basic understanding, go ahead and just drop a comment and let me know. So today we're going to be talking about the Caperton versus Massey Coal Company. Um, this was a case that was heard in the United States Supreme Court in 2009. It's docket number 556 U.S. 868. Now, the petitioner, Hugh M. Caperton, and the respondent was the Massey Coal Company, along with a few other companies that just go hand in hand with that main company. So let's hop into the facts. Don Blackenship, who was the Macy's Coal Company, Macy's, Massey's Coal Company chairman, um, made a political move to produce a new result in the case uh, by supporting a Supreme Court of Appeals of West Virginia candidate, Brent Benjamin. Now, what I mean by this is that Don Blackenship made significant contributions, so money-wise, to the support of Brent Benjamin winning the race. Uh, to be more specific, he gave $1,000 in statutory maximum. Um, to Benjamin's campaign, which just means like that's the max amount, so he gave the max. He also gave $2.5 million to, and for the sake of the kids, accounting for two-thirds of the donations. Now, when I say, and for the sake of the kids, charity work, whatever, it's not a real charity. It's more like a cover front, and then that money is also being used for the success of that candidate. And then he also gave more than $500,000 on independent expenditures, which just means like sending out letters to people in the mail, doing direct mailing, ads, TV commercials, stuff like that. Now, Caperton um, had motioned for Benjamin's recusal from the court on the grounds of the Due Process Clause and the West Virginia Code of Judicial Conduct on three separate occasions, and he was denied all three times. Now, Caperton, who is our petitioner in this case, is trying to get the justice, Benjamin, who was in fact elected to be a justice, recused from the case because he has ties to the exact same people that Caperton is going against in the case. Therefore, it's like a you know, conflict of interest. So those are the facts. Now we're gonna kind of get into a little bit of history about how the case 
came to be. So in August of 2002, a West Virginia jury found that the Macy Cole Company, I'm just going to call it Macy, it's spelled M-A-S-S-E-Y, um, if anyone knows how to pronounce that, drop it down below, but the Macy Cole Company um, was found liable for fraudulent behavior, withholding valuable information, and the interference with prior contracts. The jury had awarded Hugo Caperton, along with others, $50 million in punitive and compensatory damages. Now, punitive damages are damages that you receive because of punishment. Um, compensatory damages are damages that you receive because something was taken from you. Like, you were out of a job because something else happened. The trial um, denied Massey's motion to retry the case and stated that Massey blatantly disregarded Caperton's rights because they deemed it fit for them to do so. Um, they basically, like cut them off, didn't pay them type situation. In March of 2004, the trial court denied Massey's motion again as a matter of law. And then what had happened was the trial jury granted review of Massey's appeal post Benjamin's appointment to the court. See, we just talked a little bit about Benjamin and the Macy's company's relationship. Um, so post that discovery, review was granted. In November 2007, the court reversed the 50 million verdict against Massey. Now, what does this mean? The case was decided. The money was distributed. It was final. But, ironically, and, you know, coincidentally, wink, wink, Benjamin gets elected to court. Remember, he just got all of this money from the Massey's Coal Company. And then, Massey's appeals the case again. And the jury is granted the review. This is a big no-no, right? So a writ of certiori is granted to Caperton. So what's the issue here? Well, like, what's the problem, right? We're looking at this. Does a personal connection to a party or parties in a case cause for recusal? of the relevant judges under the due process clause of the 14th amendment. Now we'll put this a simpler word. What is it asking? It's presenting the question that if a company supports a candidate or if somebody supports a candidate so much to make a considerable impact of resources, of benefits, of face time, etc., for this candidate, then can that judge 
be removed from judging on the case, right? SCOTUS used the 14th Amendment and the relevant cases, which I'm about to mention right now, to give a precedent in their analysis. So, the 14th Amendment, for starters, it states, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. We'll get into why they used this shortly, but we'll also talk about a few of these other cases. So, in the docket that was written up, uh, we can read the mention of several cases. I only have a few listed here, but um, that is not to say that they were the most important cases. They were just the ones that I found to ring most important on my analysis of the case. That may not be the case for your classes, but hopefully at least one or two of these are in there. So we have Toomey v. Ohio, which is 273 U.S. 510 in 1927. Um, the court had concluded in that case that the due process clause includes the common law rule that a judge is to recuse him, him slash herself when they have a direct, personal, substantial, or pecuniary, okay, I'm not even going to say that word, interest within the case. So they used this to plead their case. They also used Ward v. Monroeville, which is docket 409, U.S. 57, in 1972. It had ruled that a judge should not have direct or positive benefit on account of a ruling. Why might they have used this case? Well, Benjamin, you know, his pockets were getting pretty hefty because of the Macy Cole Company supporting his campaign. And now that he was a judge, which we can't say was 100% because of the benefits that the Macy Cole Company gave him, but it can be suspected or implied that it was. He now has a little bit of a weight on his shoulders. If he sees this case and he finds the Macy Cole Company guilty, well, they just gave him all this money. What then? You know, and then we have Murchison, Ducket 349, U.S. Um, it says, one man, grand jury. Uh, it set a precedent that the judge who charged the petitioners cannot be the same judge who convicted the petitioners. No man is permitted to try a case where he has an interest in the outcome. And the last one that I have here on this list is Mayberry v. Pennsylvania, 
Ducat 400, US 455, 1971. It stated that because of the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, a defendant in criminal contempt proceedings should be given a public trial before a judge other than the one reveled by the contemnor. So all of these cases, they're pretty interesting, right? They're all pretty much saying the same thing, that a judge who has skin in the game should not be in that game, right? If that even makes sense, I'm not sure. Basically what I'm trying to say is if a judge is getting special favors from the people who are going before them and he may get repercussions if he goes against for example, using this case, if he goes against the company, he might receive some negative feedback or negative representation, which wouldn't be good for him. So let's go ahead and give a little analysis. The majority opinion agreed that the 14th Amendment's due process clause was violated in the Massey case and that Benjamin's campaign endorsements, the ones from before that we talked about, from the respondent of the case did constitute major risks of actual bias based on objective perception. What does subjective perception mean? Well, although we can't prove that Macy won this campaign for Benjamin, that his money won it for him, you know, as forementioned, all of the opportunity that money can buy. We can almost definitely perceive it based on the paper trail that is there. Benjamin's elected to office. Macy appeals the docket and then that docket gets approved for the appeal now would this have happened if benjamin wasn't on the court i don't know i can't say that but based on the paper trail we can perceive that there's some sort of skin in the game you do me a favor i'll do you a favor type of relationship going on here So as I mentioned, the majority opinion agreed that the 14th Amendment, the Due Process Clause, was being violated. They saw that due to the contributions by the respondent to Judge Benjamin, the court called for his recusal from the case under the Due Process Clause, right? They found that black and ship significant and disproportionate influence, meaning the fact that he gave so much more than everybody else, so much more than he'd given to any other campaign previously. Uh, it was coupled with the temporal relationship between the election and the pending case. I, I heard, at least, that there were a little bit of outside shenanigans, yacht riding together type situations going on which less than professional right guys uh, that this in 
coupled with everything else that was going on caused for Benjamin to be removed. There was another judge that was fraternizing, I guess, with the Massey Coal Company, but I wouldn't say that, you know, it was as much as Benjamin, right? They said that the judge of the Supreme Court of Appeals of West Virginia is reversed and that the case is remanded for further proceedings not inconsistent with this opinion. Basically what it said was the granting of the appeal was reversed. So it's back to square one. Macy's not getting this money back. Caperton is keeping the money as well as everyone else who received money from the first initial ruling of this case pending any further procedures. Now, we do have a few dissenting opinions here. Chief Justice Roberts dissented, as well as Justice Scalia. Now, Chief Justice Roberts disagreed with the ruling, and he argued that this new objective may result in a rise of allegations calling for judges to be recused on account of probable bias. He states that the majority continuously calls for an objective standard for due process, but concludes that this ruling is simply too broad. What is, what is he trying to say? What does he mean? He's basically saying, well, if we're going off of perceived misconduct or perceived bias, then what's to say that another judge can't be accused of the same thing? They all campaign in this situation in the lower level courts to be a judge. So is everyone that supports their campaign trying to get something out of them? Or is this just too broad of a topic for us to be ruling on in the first place? Right? So he, he poses that question. It's a pretty good one. It also says here that it raises the question of the probability of bias standard only applying to cases where financial support is used in judicial elections. Or if it's even applied to all cases where justice could be subjected to bias, it doesn't really say. There's no line between how much money is too much money or how much support is too much support if it's not financial. It doesn't really go into depth. The Chief Justice also indicates that 40 fundamental questions um, that the new probability bias standard could call to the court to be determined. Now. I don't have these 40 questions here. They are in the original document. Trust me, it was grueling to read that document. But I highly recommend doing it. 
there may be a point where I start linking these things, you know, to the podcast, giving where I found these documents, maybe even attaching my own case briefings. If you're interested in that, please don't copy and paste my work or I'll sue you. Just kidding, but like actually please don't copy and paste my work because that would totally be plagiarism. Um, but yeah, I might do that for y'all just because there will be some times if I continue to do briefings like this one where things will be mentioned that you won't be able to see, you know. Anyways, 40 questions. Like, come on, dude. Who has that time? 40 questions. Huh. <sighs> I put some examples of his questions in here. Sorry, I'm looking at my briefing right now, guys. Uh, I said that Chief Justice Roberts basically was saying that today's opinion required the state and federal judges to simultaneously act as political scientists. It gave some questions like, why did candidate X win the election? They had to act like economists. Was the financial support disproportionate? And they also had to act like psychologists. Is there likely to be a debt of gratitude? They also had just so many other outside things going on that may have caused equal issues in this case. So many issues. Uh, Justice Scalia, Justice Thomas, and Justice Alito uh, joined Chief Justice Roberts in his dissent. The only judge who wrote an additional dissenting opinion was Justice Scalia and agreed with Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, he had believed that the court's ruling would erode the public confidence in the nation's judicial system. It would provide the public with the perception that the legal system is a game lawyers can play by simply claiming bias. He sees future rulings being spent examining campaign file reports an ample amount of non-recusal decisions being drawn up by any means available. Basically what Scalia is saying is that this case's ruling may cause grounds for more cases to be pushed back and delayed and continue to be messed up because any lawyer could now just claim, well, this judge is biased and we're calling for their recusal because they're biased XYZ, but there's no direct link to bias or any reason to call for bias. So in conclusion, y'all, this case was a tricky one. I can't tell you what my opinion would have been because I can see myself leaning both ways. I definitely agree that Caperton and all the other people that received the punitive and compensatory damages deserved to receive that money back. Now, 
can I say that there was bias from the coal company onto Benjamin? I can't. Um, I really don't know anything about Brent Benjamin's campaign, if there was anything crazy going on. I, I just don't know. I can't say. And because I can't say, I also can't say that the chairman, Blackenship, was only giving him this money to appeal his case. Like, I can't say that. Um, I can only really say that it was a significant amount of money. It was two-thirds of the donations. It was all of these ads and commercials and billboards and everything that was going on. And then that appeal coming in right after, I mean, come on. If I was Black and Chip, I would have waited at least a few months, at least, maybe even a year before appealing so that it wouldn't be suspected of bias. You know, that's just me. But let me know what you think. And let me know if you like the amount of information in this briefing. If you don't, you know, let me know. So I hope y'all have a great day. This has been Keeping It Brief. And yeah, let's see y'all in the next one.